It is a true privilege to stand here today and uh, without a guitar and speak about the wonderful provisions that God lovingly provides for each of us. And I want to thank you for coming this morning and welcome those that are watching on the live stream. Uh, Today's title is Christian Commitment. No, Christian Contentment. And we live in a world today that is characterized by discontent. Uh, We look at our paycheck, and it seems like it should be more. We look at our house, and we wish we had a bigger one. We look at our spouse and wish they would change. Uh, We look at our children and wish they lived closer. Yesterday, our youngest daughter and her family moved to South Carolina. We wave goodbye to the U-Haul truck. Uh, We look at our church and wish it was different. And we look at the speaker today and wish Dominic was back. Uh, This is um, 1974, by the way. Uh, I was looking for a more current photo, but it made me look so old, so I chose that one. Well, Pastor Dominic is coming back uh, this week, so hang in there. There's hope on the horizon. So my goal today is to look at what the Bible says about contentment and give us an all give us all an alternative to what the world around us values. And to move in that direction, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, and particularly starting with verse 11, where the Apostle Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, I want you to notice first that what we have here in these words are words of a personal testimony. And Paul refers to himself five times in just three verses. And he does it without a hint of pride or self-preoccupation. But notice what he says starting in verse 11. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So five times in these three verses, it's clearly the language of a personal testimony. And this is the Apostle Paul saying, look, here's what I have found, experienced, and proved in my own life. This is what has been true for me, and I can be, it can be true for you as well. So this is the language of personal testimony and experience that we're tuning into today. Paul says, this is what God has done in the life of one believer and what he's able to do in the lives of all believers. Now notice secondly here that Paul had experienced the best and the worst of life in this world. Uh, He knew what it was to be brought low and he knew what it was to abound and he knew what it was to have plenty and he knew what it was to be in need. Paul is saying that he had experienced life at the extreme top, and he had experienced life at the extreme bottom. You may find yourself saying, I don't think I've been in either one of these places. My life has been lived somewhere just in the middle. And if that's your experience, be very thankful, because those, there are special temptations that come when you have plenty, and there are special trials when you're in need. In the book of Proverbs, we read, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor 
and steal and profane the name of my God. Paul knew the full range of human experience, and he says, in every circumstance, I have learned to be content. Thirdly, Paul teaches that contentment is a grace learned over time. Starting in verse 11, I have learned whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So the implication of the word learned is that it was not always like that with Paul. He grew in contentment over time. It did not come quickly and it did not come easily, but there was growth and there was progress for him. And the same can be true for us today. So here are today's questions. What is this secret that Paul learned about contentment? And how did he learn it? Is it possible for us to learn it today? So here come three observations. The first comes from the context of these verses, and that is gratefully savor the blessings of Christ. And we take that from verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, God has given to every one of us the ability to choose where we focus our attention. What are the good things about your family? What are the good things about your church? your work, your neighborhood. Bring these to mind, especially when you're inclined to complain, and as you do, you will learn to be content. Make more of your joys than you do of your sorrows. Make more of your gains than you do of your losses. Do this in your thinking, in your speaking, and even in your praying, and you will grow in contentment. I've included praying in here because of what Paul says in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but with everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And then in verse 7, if you do this, here is what you will find. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what he is saying is, bring your requests to God. But if your prayers are only a long list of requests, your praying will not bring you peace. All you're doing is filling your mind with problems in the presence of God. Don't let your prayers become an exercise in worrying on your knees. If you want your prayer to be a calling out, you don't, of everything that's wrong in your life, by all means, bring your requests to God But do it in this way. Bring to your mind the blessings of God in your life. Give thanks to Christ for all he has done for you and for all that you are in him. Bring your requests to God with thanksgiving and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Why? Because you'll be reminded of the mercy of God in your life. When you're listening to music... You have some choices as to how it will sound. You can turn up the treble, or you can turn up the bass. You can have the music the way you want. I'm sure you've 
been sitting at the stoplight and a group of people have come up to you at the light and the car is vibrating and almost moving up and down. The bass is so loud that the fenders and the doors are shaking. You have certain choices as to how your music will sound. The music is the same, but the sound will be quite different depending on the settings you choose. So I'm suggesting that we turn up the mercies in the music of our life. The music of the Spirit magnifies your mercies. A person who is filled with the Holy Spirit makes more of their blessings than they do of their sorrows. And if that is your habit, your contentment will increase. That does not mean pretending that your sorrows do not exist. But when you have suffering and pain in one area of your life, you can form the habit of intentionally putting it alongside another area where you've been especially blessed. For example, you might say, I have a really difficult, terrible job. But thank God, I have a really wonderful church. Or you could say, I'm struggling with this pain in my body, but thank God, he's given me a healthy mind. For me, it's the other way around. There are parents here today that have anxiety over the rebellious son or daughter. It may be that God has afflicted you in one child, but he has been merciful to you in another child. King David knew great sorrow over one of his sons, Absalom. Absalom led a horrible rebellion against his father, David, and it ended in Absalom's untimely and tragic death. The Bible records David's pain and anguish over his son in 2 Samuel 18.33. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, would I have died instead of you? But God gave David another son, Solomon, who was a blessing and a joy to his father's heart. So this account of David helps us remember our mercies in the midst of our sorrows. That's one reason why we participate in regularly, regular worship, because it fosters contentment. Because in worship, we call to mind the mercies of God and gratefully savor the blessings of Christ. When we worship together and join together in singing, it brings contentment because we're focusing on God and his mercy in our lives. The second observation from, this, from these verses leads us to confidently affirm the sufficiency of Christ. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Look at these verses closely and you'll see that Paul connects the secret of contentment with the strength he receives from Christ. Verse 12, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Okay, Paul tells us, what's the secret? Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's a direct connection between these verses and another place where Paul gives insight into his own personal journey. And that's 2 Corinthians 12, 7. A thorn was given me in the flesh. So a thorn in the flesh clearly is something that was very painful to Paul and he carried throughout his whole life. It was always with him. He could never 
get away from it. And Satan used it to get at him. And Paul says in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So here we come to something important about contentment. Contentment does not mean that you're indifferent to your circumstances. Contentment does not mean you give up on trying to make things better. It's not throwing up your hands and saying, well, whatever will be, will be. That's not contentment. So Paul did everything he could with regard to the thorn in the flesh. He gave himself to prayer and no doubt fasting, and he did this three times, which I take to mean over three different seasons in his life. God gave him an answer in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now coming back to Philippians, Paul says the same thing. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Christ gives me the strength to face what he calls me to do. His grace is sufficient. Jeremy Burroughs restates and summarizes Paul's answer in this way. This is how I learned to live with the thorn in the flesh. I discovered the sufficiency of Christ, and this is the secret of being content in any circumstance of life. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Christ gives me strength. There is an infusion of strength that comes from Christ into the life of the believer that matches the load he has given you to carry. God can double your load and triple your strength. This is why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So it's been said that contentment is a journey from anger to peace, from frustration to satisfaction, and from anxiety to trust. The journey from anxiety to trust is right here. Anxiety is anticipating a problem without the strength that Christ gives you to meet it. A friend is diagnosed with a serious illness, and you hear the noise, the no, you hear the news, and you say, I don't think I could handle that. Or you begin to notice the burdens that other people carry, and you say to yourself, What would I do if that happened to me? What are you doing? You're anticipating a problem without the strength that Christ gives to those who go through this situation. Here's how you move from anxiety to trust. You confidently affirm the sufficiency of Christ. Christ gives me strength. He will give you the strength that you need for whatever you have to face, and he will do it at the exact right time. Corey Tenbloom tells a story from her childhood in the book The Hiding Place. And she'd gone to visit the home of some friends where someone had died. So for the first time, she is brought face to face with death. When she got into bed that night, she was quite terrified by the thought of what would happen to her if her father should die. She writes, That night, as my father stepped through the door, I burst into tears. I need you, I sobbed. You can't die, you can't. Father sat down on the edge of the narrow bed. Corey, he began gently. When you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? I sniffed a few times considering this. Why, 
just before we get on the train. Exactly, Father said. And our wise Father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him, Corey. When the time comes that some of us have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength that you need just in time. So here is the Christian answer to anxiety, worry, and fear. Jesus Christ will give you the strength that you need to face whatever he calls you to face, and he will give it to you just when you need it. And our last observation from these verses in Paul's life is to gladly embrace the supremacy of Christ. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Martin Lloyd-Jones says about Paul's contentment, if we want to feel as Paul felt, we must live as Paul lived. And here's how Paul lived. For me to live is Christ and to die is to gain. Could you say that? Think about this with me. How would you complete this sentence? For me to live is blank, and to die is blank. What would you put in the first blank? For me to live is work. For me to live is family, sports, music, ministry. Whichever of those you put in the first blank There is only one word that can go in the second blank, and that is loss. If for you to live is work, family, business, sports, music, or even ministry, then to die is always loss, because it means that the thing you have lived for will end, and then you will have lost. But if you can say, for me to live is Christ, You can also say to die is gain. Because when you die, you get more of the Christ that you live for. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. And he was facing the possibility of a violent death. Verse 17, he says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. How could Paul be content in light of this? He was living for Christ, and dying meant getting more of him. If you want to feel what Paul felt, you must live as Paul lived. For me to live is Christ, and this Christ gives me strength. That's why whatever happens, I've learned to be content. How sad it would be if your joy and your peace depended on holding on to something that you have or on getting something that you do not have. How free and confident and happy you would be if you could say, I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. So then, what's the deal? Where do we go from here? Why have we been talking about this? Here's the conclusion. Take the first step on the road to contentment. 
When Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound, you know that he learned this from Jesus. Talk about knowing how to abound. Jesus was in very nature God. All that belonged to God was his. Everything God is, Christ is. But the Son of God, who knew how to abound, emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross. He was brought low. Jesus Christ went to the lowest point for you. But God raised him from the dead and highly exalted him, giving him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Those who lose everything for him find that they gain everything in him. When you gratefully savor the blessings of Christ, and confidently affirm the supremacy of Christ and gladly embrace the sufficiency of Christ, then you'll be able to say with Paul, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And those who lose everything for him find that they gain everything in him. Gratefully savor the blessings of Christ, confidently affirm the sufficiency of Christ, gladly embrace the supremacy of Christ, and you will be able to say more and more with Paul, I've learned in every situation I am to be content, and here's why, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we're so grateful that you've come to take our sin on you for our sake. Help us today to trust that you are all we need, and we bow to you today as our Lord and Savior. Help me and everyone here today to learn the contentment that Paul learned by depending on you for every situation in life. You've given us this wonderful promise that you will be there when we need you and will give us the strength to face any situation that we experience. I thank you for these amazing people here today and I ask that the scripture will have a lasting impact on each one of us. Together we pray these things in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.